Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another episode of Moving to Live. Moving to Live along with our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, firmly believes that movement should be treated as a lifestyle, not just an activity. If you like what we're doing on Moving to Live, please leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you listen to. One of our main goals with Moving to Live is to interview people who are involved in different realms of the movement field, because at the end of the day, we think that most people involved in the movement field either want their patients, clients, or athletes to move better or move more. I have to confess, and I was telling today's guest that I had not heard of him, although we have mutual friends, until one of his blog posts popped across, I believe, my Facebook feed, and I realized that this is somebody who really fits in with one of our main goals is to break down those knowledge silos. We're with Dr. Benjamin Stevens. He's a chiropractor in Canada. He's an educator, and the reason that I was really interested to have him on is he wrote a blog post called Dear Therapist, You're Not a Strength Coach, or a personal trainer. So, Dr. Stevens, thank you for taking time to talk for Moving to Live. You're very welcome. I'm really looking forward to this. My first question I always ask people on Moving to Live because everybody likes to put labels on things. And we know in the age of social media, everybody puts on a front. You see somebody in an elevator and you're wearing a t shirt from your clinic, or you're clearly somebody who's in the medical field. And they say, Hey, what do you do? What's your elevator spiel where you explain to people? This is what Dr. Stevens does. <laughs> I usually sigh first, to be entirely honest. <laughs> kind of sigh, put my hands over my eyes, look tired, and go, oh, that was a long answer. Um, but for the most part, uh, I, I usually just answer a sports chiropractor. Um, and a lot of the time, that's kind of a cop-out answer. But um, sometimes I'll say uh, I, I deal with concussions all day. Sometimes I'll say... Um, I'm a professional educator because I actually I, I make more of my living and spend more of my time educating than I than I do anything else right now. Um, and sometimes I say I run a couple of businesses. So it kind of depends the company that I'm in. Um, but most of the time, 
Uh, most of the time I just sigh because I'm literally always, I'm always doing about five different things, all very much related, but I'm always doing five different things. Um, so it's, uh, as you've probably figured out, not a, not an easy answer most of the time. And I know that's something, the five different things we're going to get into a little later. I'm always interested when I interview people for moving to live, if you're in a movement profession and I would put sport chiropractic in a movement profession, were you an active kid? And if you were an active kid, was it because mom and dad said, get the heck out of the house and don't come back? Or were you a kid who was an athlete all along? And at some point you realized, you know, I might not be able to make my living as an athlete, but I'd really like to do something that allows me to be around people that move. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm of that, that era where it's you, you, you don't bother your parents by hanging around the house and hoping for something to do because they'll get annoyed with you and kick you out and tell you to essentially just come back whenever it gets dark, right? Or come back when it's supper time, right? So I, I did what a lot of kids do. I grew up playing with a lot of the neighborhood kids. Um, I played pretty well every single sport uh, that I could get my hands on. Um, to be entirely honest, I always, um, I tended to not stay with many sports for very long. And a lot of that was, uh, for me, I really enjoyed movement, um, but I was a very self-paced person and I was very non-competitive. And so, I, you know, at this age, I kind of realized a lot of it was I had kind of a big artistic streak in me. Um, and I really appreciated a lot of the movement disciplines that allowed for, rather than having highly stringent rules and highly competitive, and it was just a matter of a tally on a board, I really appreciated things that had a lot more expression to them. And so even in, even in the sports that I did play, I always found myself wanting to play the position that was either extremely important or you had freedom of decision making. So I, you know, I played the goalie in hockey or soccer in some way, shape or form. You know, I try to try to play point guard in, in basketball. I do like all these different things where I kind of got to not run the show, but be in some way making decisions on the fly because I didn't really enjoy just running back and forth on a field for the point of running back and forth on a field to chase a ball. So I ended up playing pretty well every single sport. Uh, I was an ice hockey goalie for 20 years, started snowboarding, got into uh, different kinds of dance, and uh, essentially have tried on pretty well everything else in the meantime. Olympic lifting, powerlifting, I competed in bodybuilding. Uh, kettlebells have been a huge part of what I do for a long time. Um, and I'm a, I'm a chronic dabbler uh, in pretty well every movement discipline. And usually I'll just look at something and go, that looks like a lot of fun. Um, and I'll figure out a way to try it. And sometimes it sticks. Sometimes it stays for years, sometimes for days. And yeah, because for me, it is a lifestyle. It's not really something that I have a specific discipline that I, that I view as the better discipline. I just, I, I kind of want to try them all. I want to experience them all. And I'll put one that you can add on your bucket list for my local uh, Pittsburgh-based podcast. I interviewed a place that does uh, high-level pogo sticking, and I actually now have an air, uh, air-filled pogo stick, That's which amazing. is absolutely, if you ever had a pogo stick as a kid, it is the most fun thing. The world record for the high jump in the pogo stick is 10 feet, where you have to nice. go, uh, you can step off something. But when you go over the uh, the bar, you have to bounce three times. I have no di- no desire to do that, but just bouncing around is just that novel or new movement activity. So check yeah. out Expogo if you get a chance or, or check out some of their videos because you'll look at it and go, well, that might be some business for me or wow, that looks like a lot of fun and I can see how I might want to add that into my life. Yeah, there's a, there's a unique aspect to bouncing that's really... My, I have a four-year-old daughter and she goes to gymnastics and uh, unfortunately they recently changed the rules around this, but about six months ago I took her to gymnastics at a drop-in and all the other parents are sitting in the corner on their phone and I'm roaming around just like jumping from trampoline to trampoline 
I'm like 15 feet in the air. And a lot of that's just because I did a lot of that, that kind of stuff as a kid. And, you know, I, I'm used to being in the air and it was just so funny. I just completely forgot all the kids were there and bouncing around for five minutes. My heart rate's through the roof. I just love bouncing, just flopping on my back and front flips and back flips and all these different things. And I'm at an age where I probably shouldn't be doing that, but I get done and I kind of sit down and I look up and like all the kids have stopped doing gymnastics and they're just watching me just being like, what's the old guy doing? Um, but it's, there's something unique about just bouncing up and down that makes you kind of giddy like a little kid. Exactly. And I'm always curious when I interview people, I've got the advantage of being able to read the form you filled out prior and, and check out your webpage. You go to college, I believe you majored in biology. How did you decide to major in biology? Um, so the funny thing is I started in biology and I really didn't like it. Um, so I worked, you know, I've, I've been working various jobs since I was nine. I started with a paper route. And so I ended up saving enough money to go, uh, to pay for at least my first year of university on my own. And so I was kind of like, I have the money. I don't really know what exactly what I want to do. So I went and started kind of a, a just general bachelor's of science in biology, not knowing where it was going to go. And I absolutely hated it. Um, mostly because it was, I like the freedom of university compared to, to high school compared to kind of having a job. But, um, I mean, I was studying flatworms and geology and, you know, social history and just this kind of broad scatter plot of stuff, which, you know, I understand is important for certain things, but I'm going, I just did that for 12 years. I just studied a little bit of everything for 12 years. Like this is just not fun. I'm just doing more of the same. So I quit after my first year. Uh, I came out to British Columbia and Western Canada. I snowboarded a ton for a year. Uh, and then I went back and started uh, a kinesiology degree or something similar to a human kinetics degree and loved every second of it. And essentially it just kind of the light bulb moment really hit then of like, this is what I, this is what I want to be studying. This is how I want to be thinking. This is where I want my brain to spend all its time from now on. And I mean, school was really easy after that. It's, it's amazing. I had a similar path when I took general education classes my first year, my GPA wasn't very good. And then when I got into athletic training classes, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is interesting. It really doesn't seem like work when you have something that you're interested in. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I was, <laughs> so we ended up with the last semester of school. My wife uh, was going through school with me and uh, I ended up with the last semester of school with almost no courses left to take because I literally had taken like seven or eight courses a semester during my entire undergrad once I started to switch to kinesiology. And most people are just like trying to figure out what they can get away with. And I was just literally trying to overload my schedule because I'm going like, we have an advanced exercise physiology course. How could I not take that? Right? Like, it's like, this is amazing. And so I would take absolutely everything to the point where in my last semester, I only had to take two courses. Um, so it like almost essentially ended the whole thing really because I was so excited, right? Whereas prior to that, it was kind of a uh, just like you said, it was like, oh my goodness, like I got to sit through this class, like I got to study for this. And I found myself, you know, reading ahead in chapters and, you know, anatomy classes and physiology classes and stuff. And I think it's a good sign, you know, when you can get to that point. And I think it's something, there's just some people who are just hardwired that way. They just have that innate curiosity, whatever they learn. It's like, well, there, there must be something more to learn. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think honestly, a lot of people have that built in. Um, and the people that don't think they have it built in, they probably just haven't found the thing yet. That's all. And I'm always curious also because anybody that you meet in the movement field always has a slightly different path. You finish mm -hmm. your degree. Clearly, you're a doctor of chiropractic medicine now. How do you decide on chiropractic versus literally 20 or 30 other potential uh, graduate degrees? <laughs> Uh, I like to tell, I, I even tell my patients this, like, oh, you know, I'm not an altruist. I'm not a bleeding heart. I didn't get into this because I have some big 
uh, you know, miracle story. I wanted to help as many people as humanly possible because it, it, honestly, I think if you ask most people, they pick something because they thought it was cool or they thought it was interesting. Um, and I'm no different. And when I got to the end of my kinesiology degree, I literally got to the end and I kind of went, ah, like kinesiologist doesn't have a great career outlook. Um, I don't really want to stop now. And I was young and I kind of went, I want to keep learning. Like there's so much left. What do I do now? And uh, so I, I sat down and kind of laid out all the options. I looked at physio and osteo or a master's degree or medical school or chiropractic school or massage school or things that were kind of, you know, like biomedical engineering, pretty well anything and everything I could get my hands on and kind of looked at it all. And then found some people in those fields and tried to figure out what their, their job looked like. But when it came down to it, I just looked at what school was like for all these people. I didn't even look at the profession nearly as much as in the school. And I kind of went, I really want to learn what chiropractors learn. I, I looked at the, the kind of what they needed to pass their board exam, the typical kind of uh, course catalog at most schools. And I'm going, that's the stuff that I like. Right. Like I loved neurology and neuroanatomy. I loved anatomy, period. Right. And chiropractors know their anatomy better than almost anybody else out there. Um, and I just looked at that and I went, that's what I want to study. So I, I actually chose chiropractic primarily for the school, um, more so than the profession that it was going to lead to because I just wanted to keep learning. And I still have the same problem. I still go, oh, there's still so much left to learn. What am I going to do next? <laughs> I'm curious, had you had any experience uh, as a patient for chiropractic medicine before you went to chiro school? Yeah, yeah, I did. And honestly, it was, it was, it was pretty easy to, for me to get pushed that way, because I only ever had one, one injury that really I had to get therapy on. I dislocated my shoulder. Um, and having that one big injury pushed me to go seek therapy, right? I had broken tons of bones and stuff, but it was kind of like cast it, it healed, the pain went away, went back to my life as it was. Um, but I, when you dislocate your shoulder, it messes a lot of stuff up. And so I ended up going to my medical doctor and it was highly underwhelming. She tried to give me pills for, <laughs> for a previously dislocated shoulder. Um, typical story. Uh, I went to a physio who just ultrasounded it and gave me some exercises. And I just remember thinking, this isn't doing anything, right? Uh, I actually went to a chiropractor who, uh, to be entirely honest, this was probably the thing that made me decide to go become a chiro. He did nothing for me. But on day one, he told me he was going to do nothing for me. Um, and that was, he was probably one of the most ethical people along those lines. Right. And so I was about 19 at the time and it, it made me a little bit angry because I'm going like, this guy just took my money and spent an hour of my time only to tell me you can't help me. But, you know, coming back full circle, I look back at it now and I go, that's by far the most ethical thing that guy could have done rather than pretend he knew what he was doing. And so he went, I don't know, like, I don't know where to send you. Um, but I don't think this is the kind of thing I'm going to be able to help that much with and gave me a few suggestions. So I ended up going later to a different chiropractor who was actually in a town two hours away. And it was my then girlfriend, my now wife's chiropractor. And he was the one that ended up taking my shoulder from barely could lift my arm off of my sides to, you know, six to eight torture very close to back to normal again. And, you know, I mean, after you dislocate a shoulder, it's not going to be perfect, but I was shocked at how just using nothing but his hands and a little bit of knowledge and home exercise, I made huge leaps forward. And so when the time came for me to kind of decide what I wanted to do, my wife, you know, with me exploring all the options, she said, you yeah, know, remember that experience you had? Like, that was pretty powerful, right? And she went, you had experiences with pretty well every one of these professions in some way, but that was the one that really like put you forward. Like, Maybe you should consider that. And that was the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge. And it, it wasn't hard to push me over the edge. I was leaning that way anyway. 
And I know now looking back with your experience, I'm curious, do you think he was able to help you so much because of his education as a chiropractor, uh, because of who he was specifically as a person? Because I, I know you've probably like me, there are just some people, no matter what their field is, they're gifted body workers. They just have a very good way of looking at the body and figuring out analytically and not, not even scientifically, just I think this is what will help you. They, they, yeah, they've got an intuition for it. Uh, he was a very interesting character, the guy that did it. So his name was Dr. Hayho, um, which in and of itself kind of made me giggle when I first heard it. I was like, oh, of course. And come to find out, he was like a, a, a Lutheran brethren priest, uh, one of the original naturopaths in Canada, like, a, like an ND, uh, who was also a chiropractor. And he had this very strange long history to him, but he was, he had to be mid seventies by the time I saw him. So like he's in his nineties now. Um, and, uh, or maybe late eighties, but anyway, he, he was one of those people that he just had a way about him. The guy couldn't have been more than 125 pounds at almost six feet tall, like just nothing but bones and tendons about the guy. And you kind of look at him and you go, what's this guy even going to do? And he just managed to have that intuition you talked about that he, he found all the things that needed to be done. He pretty well looked at me and went, does it hurt right there? And he kind of went, oh, God, how'd you know that was the spot, right? And all, all this stuff that kind of happens with our clients nowadays anyway. Um, but he, he was cerebral about it when he needed to be, but very intuitive about it when he needed to be as well. And I think his, his style was something that very much inspired me because we're, we're going the way of evidence being up on this pedestal and science being so insanely kind of, I guess, over-promoted that we kind of, we're almost not allowed to do that anymore. And I have a huge amount of respect for someone who lives both lives where they kind of go, you know what, the science says this, but I'm kind of feeling like this and they can reason their way into it and just be ethical about the whole thing and how they treat people. So he was one of those guys that just, you know, I only saw him, I think six, maybe eight times tops, um, but kind of impressed on me what you can do just with a brain and a set of hands. And it was, uh, yeah, it was it was eye opening for me. I mean, I was bawling my eyes out for the first like three, three times he saw me because he was literally just like, "I'm so sorry," just jamming thumbs into places thumbs aren't meant to go. Um, but it worked, and uh, yeah, still to this day, I've got a huge amount of respect for him. And I'm curious, you decide I'm going to go into chiropractic medicine. Then I know that there are a fairly large number of schools that many of them have different philosophies or not yeah. every school has the same philosophy. How did you decide on your specific school that that was the one that you wanted to go to? That's a really good question. Um, the, the primary thing being that I actually sounds so strange. I felt like they didn't have just one philosophy. So almost all the schools that we went to, you know, you'd go to certain schools and I'm not going to mention any of them by name because it changes, mm -hmm. you know, every decade, you know, the, the culture and that everything changes, but there's certain schools that we went to that were just like, we uphold the traditions of chiropractic and chiropractic this and blah, blah, blah. And it was like a, you know, you felt like they were trying to arouse you in some way, shape or form to be, you know, just all evangelical about chiropractic. And then there were other people who um, were the exact opposite, just like we're on the cutting edge of this profession and we have blah, 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 research, blah, 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 evidence, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the reputation was that they graduated people that had zero hands-on time and had zero ability to actually work with human beings. And I kind of wanted to avoid both to be entirely honest, because I didn't like, I, I didn't choose to become a researcher. I didn't choose to become a medical doctor. I chose to become a chiropractor. And so I ended up going to uh, Palmer college of chiropractic in San Jose. 
And the, the primary reason being, when I went there and I toured around the school, they essentially said, like, it's, it's all fair game here. Like, you want to be a researcher? Like, we'll, we'll push you down that. Um, if you want to be a little more traditional, we'll push you that way. And as long as it's all ethical and as long as it's all treating people the way people should be treated, like, we're, it's going to be fair game. And so they essentially said, here's the smorgasbord of anything and everything you could get into. We're going to expose you to it. We're going to help you understand it and see where the whole thing fits. Um, that, and it was a sports program. I mean, they were known for their sports program at the time. That was one of the big reasons that I went there was because of their kind of active in sports, uh, I guess, bias. And I really wanted to be involved in that. Um, but there's other places that had minor versions of that that just scared me off by the fact that they cared so much more about what the literature said than about human beings, right? And I think there's a fine balance between the philosophy end and the scientific end. And I don't think they're at different ends of the spectrum. I think they need to be integrated. And that was the first school I went to that I, I legitimately felt like, oh, they, they're speaking my language, right? And they spoke my language. So I went, and my wife and I, we both went, we literally walked out the front door after we toured there. It was the fifth school. Um, we walked out the front door, looked at each other and we went, yeah, that's the spot. Yeah, that's the one. We, we, we knew right away, right? Because they, it's literally, they're just speaking our language. And it sounds like, and we were chatting a little bit before we started recording, that you were intuitive enough at a young age to recognize that whatever you go into, the education isn't or shouldn't be dogma, but rather it's giving you the tools to put your own spin on what, on what you get out of your education. Yeah. I mean, when it comes down to it, like you don't want to graduate a bunch of drones, right? Like it's the, the I think there's a, a human aspect to what we do and to what everybody does that um, the more we try to minimize it, the less successful we're going to be. Right. And I think we are doing a really good job. Uh, we've done a really good job of messing up the health of nations by focusing on just the right exercise to activate the glutes and just the right therapy to help with this, that, and the other thing. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I love it, but the primary problem is not having the right tool. The primary problem is getting more people to use it. Right. And that's when it comes down to it, like research is great. I'm a huge advocate for it. Um, I was in a PhD for a short time. I, I'm planning on going back and finishing a PhD. So clearly it's a language that I speak. Uh, but I, most of our problem is not a lack of information. Most of our problem is a lack of being able to work with other human beings to get them to act for the betterment of their own health, right? And that's something that, you know, unfortunately, evangelical people in every profession are better at. So I didn't want to completely ignore that. I didn't want to pretend that didn't exist because the reality is, regardless of your motives for doing it, if you can convince someone to come into your office two or three times a week for six months on end and they're happy to do it, there's a good chance that you've you've tapped into something, you know, that's, I've never practiced like that, nor will I ever. I think it's for the most part quite unethical, but the fact of the matter is those people have tapped into the human aspect of what we do and learned how to use that to, to change people's ideas of how they behave. And that's something that I have a huge amount of respect for. Right. And I think that when people try to go, Oh, we're, we're 100% evidence-based, 100% research-based, I go, Okay, like that that's great, but are good you luck, good luck with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, for one thing, it's always changing, so you're gonna have to change what you do. Um, and for another thing, what the evidence generally shows is everything kind of works, but nothing really works all that well. <laughs> Frankly, right? And it's, the one thing that does exercise, movement, right? For a lot of our problems. 
So it's anyway, I'm just rambling now, but that's, uh, that's, I I still practice that way. You know, I still, I I have a huge human component to what I do and I take my relationship and how I talk to my clients very seriously. Um, not because I need them to understand the exact anatomy and biomechanics and physiology of what they have. It's because I need them to, I need them to understand how to get better. And the how comes from the human aspect. I think it's interesting that you say that and it brings up two things that I think are important to, to do that. First of all, that crosses professions with people who have that uh, wherewithal to recognize that. I've had the good fortune or bad fortune to have numer- numerous retinal detachments. Oh, jeez. Um, and the retinal surgeon, I still remember one time he said, you know, everybody's an N of one. I can tell you this is what the research says, but you're different. Yep. So here's what the research says. You're you're a PhD, but recognize that you know there's that 0.05 percent or that 0.01, whatever the research is, and you seem to fall in that realm in this particular situation. Yep. And that's other- that being in clinical practice. There's no such thing as a textbook patient. When they come through the door, you kind of go, "Yes, awesome. This is the one that the research applies to, right?" But I mean, to be entirely honest, there's an art to the whole thing, and um. I think as long as you're staying abreast of the concepts and you have the tools in your toolkit to be able to apply what the research is saying you should be able to apply, a lot of it after that is you kind of have to go, okay, well, this research was done on university-age healthy males with this problem, and I now have a 40-year-old pregnant female with a history of cancer who's type 2 diabetic and has previously blown her ACL with this problem, right? And you go, okay, the rules might apply. And so I'm going to proceed as if they do, but the reality is um, you need to be able to take the research and, and mold it to what you need. So I think research is very important. I actually, I mean, I contribute to research financially. I think it's very important for us to do that, but I think we're, we're going, going the way as a society where people are using the research as an excuse not to do things. They're using it as an excuse to, to uh, be more narrow rather than actually expand what they do. The other thing that you were talking about uh, your experience in, in chiropractic schools, it brought to mind, I've known a number of chiropractors who've graduated from uh, where, where you went and they all seem to have a similar outlook on that. And that I'm not going to get you to come in three times a week. And I don't think that's only chiropractic. There's other medical professions where they want to do that. I think chiropractic in many cases gets the stigma or the the message for that. Is that something that in the education at Palmer that they really reinforce that, you know, it's not a requirement to get these patients or these clients to come in three times a week? Or is that just kind of just the people that I've met who've graduated from there, they just thought the same way you think? So uh, both. The reason I say both is because there's there's a culture at that school, which I really appreciate. Um, that they, they're not going to hold your toes to the fire and say, you have to do it this way, um, which allows people to kind of come to their own conclusions over time. So academically, the culture is that they're going to expose you to a lot of different things and they're going to kind of knock off the peripherals, right? They're going to be, you know, if you're too extreme in any which direction, chances are you're probably not doing the best version of what you could do and you're not doing it right. Um, Because the answer is quite often boring and the answer is quite often somewhere in the middle um, or it's somewhere you're not even looking. And so academically, I think they do a great job um, because they never tell you you need to be treating people like that. Honestly, as school, that tells you to treat people three times a week for months on end. That just doesn't exist because there's there's just no research to back that up, and for the most part, it's unethical. Um, I say for the most part because there are cases where I'm sure it's needed, right? There's always that N equals one study where you go, okay, I literally am going to need to see you all the time to get this fixed, right? But those are so rare. 
Um, and then the other part is, I mean, the student body itself has a culture there where I hate to say it, but you'd kind of almost be ostracized if you were, if people picked up that you were highly unethical or if people picked up that you were practicing some voodoo technique that was so fringe and all these kind of things, like people would kind of back away and just be like, ah, ah, right. And so, I mean, I hate to say it, but this actually makes you want to kind of fit the mold of being a reasonable human being. And there's no reason that you can't practice these other ways once you graduate, but spending four years with all of your peers kind of speaking the same language and going the same general direction, like whether you're in sports or you're in pediatrics or whatever it is, like a lot of people graduate from there with the same, same sense of how they should practice, even if on paper they do it slightly different. Um, and it's one of the things I just, I thoroughly appreciate about the place. And you graduate from chiropractic school. How do you decide initially how you're going to go into practice because i know from looking at your webpage it appears that you're in a small practice maybe just yourself maybe you and your wife um so with me it was really easy because i knew exactly where i wanted to go stores uh, when i was in said don't go somewhere and work for a while and then move where you want to go because invariably it's not going to go how you think anyway you're not going to make as much money as you want in your first few years they're like just go just go and practice go start so i i listened to it when enough people tell you the same thing you tend to listen um so i did i moved here to Kelowna, bc i've been here since uh, uh literally five days after i graduated uh i've been here since then and i started my own practice and the primary reason being is i knew exactly how i wanted to practice um, I had been rather involved in the industry and a lot of other offices outside of school anyway, just on top of school. So I knew how I wanted to practice and I moved here and I just didn't see anyone practicing the way that I wanted, period. Um, none of the chiropractors or the physios at the time actually had um, a room like that they could. For rehab, it was like they had, you know, leg extension machines. Um, they had pull down machines. They were doing like, little TheraBand exercises and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, that's great, but that's not how I want to practice. And then none of the Kairos even had a spare space to do this in. They were all, you know, maximum 15-minute visits, all passive treatments with like, maybe you should do some exercise thrown in at the end was the best version they were getting, right? And so I kind of went, now like, I want to be a movement guy. I want to actually have space. So if someone comes in and they say, it only hurts when I, when I do a snatch, a barbell snatch, or a kettlebell snatch, or it only hurts when I do handstands or something. I don't want to have to go, oh crap, we're gonna have to rearrange this place. I go, no, let's walk out there and go do it right now. And so I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, I opened a place right out of school called the Vallejo Health Clinic. Uh, it's still in, still there now. Uh, I don't practice there anymore, um, but still there now, still a great place, still has great staff. And I was just, I just so happened to be timing wise, kind of on the front on the front of the wave, surfing the wave as it was coming in when a lot of my kind of practitioner were starting to graduate from school or starting to change how they practice. I, just, I happened to benefit from being one of the first people in town that actually knew how to coach people through good movement and actually knew how to observe movement. And I actually had the culture in my office where people didn't come to me expecting a snap and a crack and a little bit of rubbing. They came to me expecting to get better and exercise and movement with them. So that was a really big part of how I wanted to practice and I didn't see anyone else doing it. So I guess I got to do it myself and I did. So it was really easy for me, honestly. Um, I shouldn't say easy. Starting your business is never easy, but it was an obvious choice for me because I just literally went around to anyone that looked like they were doing remotely close to that and no one was doing what I wanted. And I got, all right, we're, we're doing this thing ourselves. Then. We're talking with Dr. Benjamin Stevens. He's a chiropractic physician in Canada. From what you've described, uh, 
the change in culture in, in chiropractic schools kind of by generation or by decade, whatever it is, and you kind of came out right at the forefront of one which potentially helped or made you successful in your first business. And I know from looking at your website, the fact that I first became aware of you by reading one of your blog posts is you didn't just settle to say, I'm going to be the best physician or best physician in my town. You've gone beyond that and worked on the education aspect. You've mentioned that uh, a significant portion of your income right now comes from educating others. Why the switch or how did you do the transition? Was that a conscious choice or did you kind of realize this is what I enjoy? And one day you woke up and said, oh, wow, I'm doing multiple things rather than just having a chiropractic practice. Um, Honestly, a lot of it fell into my lap. Um, I always, not always, that's not fair. Once I found my groove and I really knew what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it, So even when I was in chiropractic college, um, like the sports council at the time at Palmer West um, was two thirds of the student population was involved in the sports council. Uh, there was uh, there was years that we did like eighty events or something, like just ludicrous amounts of events, and I was there kind of in the heyday of it. Um, and I even had I, I had the president of the school literally come to me and say, "You need to be the guy running this organization," like because it's a student run organization. He said, "You need to be the guy running this," um, you know, for various reasons. And I kind of went, "Oh, that, that's a good idea," um, and. You know, I'm very fortunate that I've been involved in so many different things that most of the opportunities like that that I've had, people have come to me. Um, I haven't gone out of my way to say, no, I'm going to be an educator and I'm going to be professionally important on the internet. Nowadays. Um, but literally, when I graduated from school, uh, the first learning opportunity or the first teaching opportunity came uh, within a year because I moved back to Canada. Uh, I just so happened to have one of my great mentors, Stephen Capobianco, was the medical director for Rock Tape at the time. And Rock Tape was just getting started in Canada. This led to that. Uh, he essentially called the person who was in charge of Canada and said, if you need instructors, call Ben. And I had just graduated from school. And six months after school, they called me and said, we need you to instruct Rock Tape courses all across the country. And I went, all right, sure. Dude. Sign me up. Like I'll, I'll figure this stuff out. Um, and I did, and I loved it. And I loved, you know, I did years. Um, I taught for rock tape and it was amazing being involved and that kind of got, you know, got my, uh, got my teeth sunk into it a little bit. And that was one aspect of it. And then uh, another part is I was constantly educating myself. Um, not with the goal of teaching. I was just going to seminar after seminar after seminar. Um, and the biggest company in Canada or Western Canada at the time that was doing these uh, seminars was Somatic Senses Education, run by uh, now one of my best friends. His name is Michael Maxwell. And he, he I, I literally, I remember the day uh, I went to a seminar in Calgary, which was, a, you know, it was an eight-hour drive for me to get there. I went to a seminar in Calgary. I walked into the room. doing here like you could be teaching this seminar right and i kind of what are you talking about and he goes like don't kid me like you know half this stuff and he literally was like I, i'm gonna give you your money back he's just like you shouldn't even be here right and this was only about two or three years after school but i had i had done about 200 hours of continuing ed per year every year for the first three or four and a lot of it's because i was just so thirsty and so curious and i'm just going there's so much more and i'm still such an idiot like <laughs> i just need to know more right i need to get good at this and so uh you know this led to that and Mike, like I said, he's still a great friend of mine and a great practitioner. Um, he, a few years later, because we got to know each other and became good friends, he literally called me up one Saturday morning, five or six years ago, and 
I need a, you know, I need a business partner with somatic senses. Um, I need someone to help me run this, to help run the show. And, uh, I think you'd be the perfect person for it. And I said, sweet, sign me up, you know, not even knowing if I was going to make a dollar doing it. Um, because I was just passionate about education. And so, you know, that kind of, once you get, I guess, deeply involved enough opportunities, leads, opportunities, leads, opportunities. So, I mean, I'm teaching for several different companies. Um, I've taught some pretty, you know, major <laughs> teams and organizations, both privately and publicly. And, um, and a lot of it is, I think at this point, I'm realizing that a, a professional teacher is actually highly needed. Um, cause I think there's a lot of people who they, they're in practice for a long time and they think that there's something special. And so they go, Oh, I should probably drop or I should probably get back on uh, some way, shape or form. But some of them are just horrible teachers, right? And some of them aren't meant to teach. They're meant to be good at their job. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And then there's other people who they're, they're great at their job, but their gift is in taking the complexities of their job or the complexities of what they know and making it extremely teachable to other people. Um, and I realized through being in this business for a while that there are only a few of those that are actually really phenomenal teachers, really phenomenal educators, you know, and I can, the reason I say a few is because I mean, we've hosted hundreds of seminars in the last few years. And honestly, there's probably less than 10 who I would look at them and say, that's a true professional educator. Like they, they put the bar way up there and, uh, I'm, I'm trying to develop into that. Right. And so a big part of what I'm trying to do now is become a really good educator. Um, you know, it's higher. It's kind of a popularity contest more so than who's actually good at their job. It's, you know, who's, who's good at getting uh, followers online. Uh, and I, I'm okay with that. I don't play that game at all. I just, I don't, I don't care to. Hence the reason you hadn't heard of me. <laughs> um, but I just don't care. I honestly, I only teach stuff that I want to teach. I only, uh, write stuff that I want to write and the vast majority of the time I'll go six months at a time without writing and then I'll just be like ah, I'm gonna write this thing kind of like the blog post that you that you read right if you look it was probably for that before I read anything um, and so education is kind of falling into my lap and I'm taking it and run with it and I just I love it I love teaching it's it's one of my favorite things I get to do is teach I think whether consciously or unconsciously you've identified one of the reasons I started moving to live and the fact that you said you know, essentially it's a popularity contest and we both know yeah. and any, anybody who's listening, you know, if you put a scantily clad woman up there or a guy who's ripped uh, uh, doing exercises, whether it's a good exercise or not, then it's going to get lots of likes. If you put up something that's maybe dry, but has good information, most people are going to blip over it. And the problem is there's so much misinformation out there that the people who are doing it the right way, like you often don't get the attention, not because they deserve not to get the attention, but because they're like, look, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to be the best at it. And the people who need to know are going to find me, which yeah. is, a, which is a good, which is a good message to give, I think in the long term. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I don't, I don't hold anything against anyone that wants to play in the popularity contest. I like, I really don't, because if you want to have a big impact on the world, it's a game you have to play. And I'm, I have, I have no qualms with that. Um, I, the only thing I have qualms with is people playing that game that don't actually have anything to give. Right. Um, and there are people who are, who, who are excellent at both. Right. And I have like, those are the people that I look up to where I go, you managed to play the popularity game to a T and you're winning that game. And you are really, truly excellent at your job and you know your stuff inside and out. Um, and you're an excellent educator. And like, I love those people. But I, like I said, I think there's less than 10 of those that I've even heard of. 
right? Because I know so many people that I've seen them online and I even get pulled into it because I run an education company now. I bring seminars into Canada. We've got 37 of them planned for 2020. So I bring people in from all around the world to Canada for these seminars. I can't count the amount of times that I've kind of got pulled into someone's social media game only to bring them in for an in-person seminar and go, oh no, this guy's a dipshit, right? <laughs> and that's the reality is I kind of, and invariably I feel bad, you know, and you know, dipshit's a little strong. There hasn't been many of those. Um, there's been a few, um, but there's definitely been times where I go, wow, this guy is professionally famous. They're not actually professionally good at their job. They're not actually a professional educator. They're professionally popular. Um, and it's hard to differentiate that sometimes. So that's the hard part, right? But I mean, there are people who that deserve every ounce of that popularity. And there are people who are not at all popular who I'm going, how has no one heard of this person? Like, they're so good at this, right? Um, but when it comes down to it, like, I'm just, I've spent enough years almost being anxious about that, that I've kind of passed it now and gone like, I just don't care, right? I'm going to be really important to the people that are important to me and try to be really good at the people who I have the ability to impact. Right. And so I'm going to try to make the best of what I've got rather than try to go create something because I don't, I don't get me wrong. Popularity would be great, but I just, I don't, it's not an end game for me. And I think a lot of people think that it's the, what they're doing to kind of launch their message, but it's actually the end game for them. They just like being popular. And quite frankly, I like my own time, right? I don't, I don't want to be on my phone constantly updating Twitter. I don't want to be like, like if you went and looked at my Facebook page right now, I don't even have Facebook on my phone. I haven't been on it on my computer in weeks. There might be like one or two things from the last month. And I'm fine with that. Um, it allows me to be really important to my daughter and to my wife and to my patients and to the people that I educate um, because I'm not spending all of my time and energy on making sure the internet knows who I am. It's, it's actually funny that you say that. I run a local podcast and I was out running this summer with my dogs and two people stopped me and they said, we know those dogs. We've seen them on the FitLab Pittsburgh post for the podcast. They had no idea who I was. And it's kind of like, that's the way I wanted it because, you know, my social media is maybe a little bit more active than you, but it's mostly, hey, check out this podcast interview that I'm doing with, uh, with Ben Stevens and pictures of my dogs. Because, <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, if it makes you want to do it and you're happy to do it. Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of, I've said the comment before, if nobody ever knows my name, but they know moving to live gets all these interesting people. And that's what I want, because I think at the end of the day, getting the word out and getting the education out for people who you mentioned, maybe the world doesn't know about, but are doing good things. That's going to benefit more people down the line. Yeah, I agree. And that's, you know, that's, it's literally one of the projects that I'm in, like, I've, I've created for myself for this year is I'm, I'm going out of my way to find a lot of these people that no one's heard of. And I'm not planning to expose them to the world at all. I'm literally just going out of my way to find those people and to learn from them myself. The ones that are doing an excellent job behind the scenes, working day in and day out. But most of us have no idea who they are, because they're just they're not self promoters, and they don't care to be known, right? And so there's, there's so many more of those in existence than there are people who are popular online and also because it's easy to get popular online, but it's not actually, there's, it's not a correlation, right? So I've kind of started minding my network a little bit to be like, who's in, who's got this criteria that I need to know that I need to go learn from. And so I could probably give you the list of all the people I'm going to learn from this year. They're all PhDs. They're working with professional sports teams large multinational organizations, you wouldn't have a sweet clue who any of them are. And I'm really excited about it because I'm going like, oh my God, this person's been in this role 
keeping, you know, the best of the best athletes in the world healthy for 17 years. And he doesn't even have Facebook, right? Like I really need to learn from this guy. And that's what excites me. Um, now it does anyway. There was definitely a time when being internet famous would have been very exciting to me. Um, but <laughs> about um, it's because those are people doing good work. And I just really, I, you know, not that I'm particularly old, but I'm getting to that age where I just care about doing good work more than anything else. And it's, uh, it feels good and it's exciting and it's less stressful than playing the popularity game. It's interesting. One of the people that I've learned from doing the podcasting is one of those unknowns was in the Pittsburgh area who's recommended to me by five or six other physicians that said, you know, this Cairo ATC is just absolutely phenomenal. And I was talking to him a few weeks ago and he goes, yep, set up an Instagram page. A little part of me died inside. <laughs> exactly. And it's you like know what? There's nothing wrong with setting up an Instagram page. I freaking love it. Like I opened Instagram and I flipped through it and I love every second of it. Right. But I think a lot of the time, certain people are putting too much credence in it. When your job is to in real, um, I think people put a little too much weight in it sometimes. This is speaking as a guy that listens to podcasts prolifically, uh, as a guy that's constantly like checking things out on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but I mean, I know myself enough to know that that's not where my clients are going to come from. It's not where my opportunities are going to come from. They're going to come from the people I meet in person, shake their hand, look into their eye, um, and help them do their job better, help them be better at what they need. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I guess I've kind of come from, uh, you know, the job that I dream of with the clients that I dream of. I have to go to them and impress them in person and be a real tangible human being to them, not a dude that wrote an inflammatory blog post with, you know, a clickbait uh, tagline. Um, that, that might work, but I just, I don't even feel good about it. You know, I would way rather someone be extremely impressed with what I did right there in front of their eyes. We're talking with Dr. Ben Stevens. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the blog post that uh, first attracted me to you. And you and I were chatting a little bit beforehand. And the blog post was, Dear Therapist, You're Not a Strength Coach or a Personal Trainer. And it was not at all inflammatory. It was something that I know a number of professionals that I hold in high regard in a variety of fields. It's basically know your area of expertise and be confident enough to know what you don't know or when somebody's better than you. How did the idea for that come around or what was the decision from what you've said? I imagine it was over a number of months to say, hey, you know, I'm going to write this and put it out in the world. Well, the funny thing is I don't write for people to read it most of the time. I write it as self-therapy. And that's, that was no different. In the first 48 hours, about 800 people ended up reading that blog post, which was shocking to me. Um, but that's just because I think a lot of people were thinking it and just no one says it. Um, and sometimes there's things that I feel like are going to be like that. Like, I'm sure everyone's thinking this and no one says it. And then I say it, no one cares. And I felt like everyone's feeling this. And then people were like, this is amazing. I'm still, I still get emails to this day about that blog post. Um, and honestly, the reason that I wrote it was because I, I literally did that in the first part of my career, you know, uh, the immaturity um, that was kind of built into me just by, you know, lack of experience and not being far enough in my years. I spent a lot of time trying to be everything to everyone. And I spent a lot of time robbing people of what could have been extremely excellent care by watering down my care with, you know, kind of bastardized strength and conditioning and by not sending them to the people who really would do good strength and conditioning. Um, and 
I think if you think you're a strength and conditioning coach or a personal trainer and you're a therapist, I think you just don't know enough to know, right? You don't know enough good strength coaches. You don't know enough good personal trainers. You don't know enough people that that's their job. Um, because if you did, you'd watch them do their work and you'd go, oh yeah, that's not me, right? You go, that's clearly, I don't have that. And a, and a credential doesn't mean anything, right? Like I have a kinesiology degree. I started personal training when I was very young. I was 16 years old. You know, I've trained the full spectrum of people and I love doing so. And it's the world I live in. I love, I, just, I came from the gym literally straight home here to do this podcast. Um, like I love to train, but that doesn't, And it's, it's something I think a lot of people just like to bastardize because they go, oh, I've got this certification or, oh, I do this or, oh, I have a clinic that has a gym in it that runs, that runs classes. And you go, like, it's just not the same thing, right? Like, it's just, it's just not. And the reality is most people don't want to admit that they're not something. Um, but I've gotten to a point in my career, I guess, where the more things I can tell you I'm not, the better. Um, because I only want people coming to find me for what I'm good at. I don't want people to come, come in to find me for crap that I'm marginally good at or average at. I want people to find me for the stuff I want to do and want to be good at. And so a part of that involves me telling everyone what I'm not. And uh, that blog post was essentially just me preaching to my younger son who are in the position to essentially say, hey, get good at what you're good at, right? Don't pretend to be something else because you feel like you're going to lose customers. If you play the long game, you know, being really good at what you are trained to be really good at is going to be significantly better for you. Um, doesn't mean you can't do a little bit of training, but there's a big difference between a personal trainer, a strength coach, and a therapist. I think you hit up if if you think you can do all those things, you don't know somebody who's a really good strength coach or a really good personal trainer. Along yeah. the same lines, I mentioned a, a few a few minutes ago about uh, my eye surgeon who said everybody's an N of one. I remember being in his office and seeing him saying, you need a procedure in the office today. I can do it, but if you're willing to wait two hours, my partner's coming in and he's better than me. And I remember at that, I remember at that time thinking, this is why I like this guy. I, I mean, I, I held him in even more respect and I would have trusted him to do it, but he was confident enough in his abilities to say, you know, this guy's better than me. Yeah, I think that's, well, like I said, with, uh, with my experience getting into chiropractic, the very first chiropractor I ever visited, I had, I, the funny thing is, I don't even remember the guy's name. I remember where his building was. I remember the city he was in. I don't remember his name, but I hold him in high regard because the first thing he said is, I don't know. You know, when someone can say, I don't know, or I can't do it or whatever, invariably, that's just the other side of the coin, which says, what I know and I'm good at my job, right? And if you're really confident and good at your job, you're really confident of what you're not good at as well. So I think it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's something that comes with time and maturity and a decrease in kind of anxiety about feeling like you're going to fail or feeling like you don't have a good network or whatever it is. And um, yeah, I mean, nowadays I'd still do a tiny little bit of training, um, but the vast majority of the time I'm literally, I've got, I've got a network of people. I've literally got a network of people around the world where they go, oh, I need a trainer in Birmingham. I go, great, I'll find you one, right? And that's, that's the, the way it should be. That's the nice power of the internet and the nice power of the day and age we live in is it's very easy to find people who are good at their job, very easy to find people who are good at their job and very easy to find people who are close to you that are good at their job. Um, and to add to that, I would say, if you feel like you don't know anyone who's really good as a trainer or a strength coach, that's your fault because you haven't gone out of your way to find them. 
right? And if you feel like you've exhausted the entire list of every one of these people that's anywhere in your purview, um, then your job is to train them. Your job is to make them better, right? Your job is not to take their job. Your job is to make them better at their. That's something I think a lot of people just don't want to do, right? They don't want to help other people gain clients and get good at their job. And I think it's just an immaturity thing. Um, but if you're willing to sit down with trainers and coaches and teach um, and help and make them understand what you do, um, for one thing, it's going to be great for business, great for your clients. Um, but it's just better. It's just better in general because you're not trying to do someone else's job. I think you hit on a really great point with the network. There's a gentleman in Pittsburgh that I've become acquainted acquainted with who's not at all in the movement field, but he has a a theory. He's he's a connector, and he says he really believes in the theory A B C D. Always be connecting the dots. It's not who you know, it's who you know who knows somebody. So you may not know somebody in Birmingham who's a personal trainer, but you probably know two or three people that you're confident that they're top 10 in their, in their field of what they do, or you can call them and say, hey, I need somebody good in Birmingham. Who would you recommend you bring your wife to or your mom to? Yeah. And you know what? I think all the good connectors have other good connectors in their network as well. Um, and I, you know what, there's been very few times where I haven't been able to find the exact right resource that someone needs wherever they are in the world. I've literally so far this year, I've, I've found someone in Australia for a client of mine that got him exactly what he needed. I found someone in Dubai, someone that needed exactly what he needed. Uh, same thing in Florida, same thing in Arizona, same thing in California, like all these places that I either have clients or people reach out to me. And I go, sometimes I just know because I just happen to know people in that area, just you know, being connected with enough of them. But a lot of the time, it's just a matter of, I don't know, but I know who a connector is that will know. And, and I have that role for some people, actually a lot of people, probably in Western Canada. So um, you may have heard the name Dean Somerset, for instance. Um, mm -hmm. He's a, you know, pretty popular. He was, a, he was actually my first guest. Oh, awesome. So like Dean, every, you know, every couple of months, he sends me a message being like, hey, I have, a, I have someone needs a trainer in Abbotsford. Who do you got? Or someone needs a good therapist downtown Vancouver. Who do you need? Like, who do you got? That kind of thing. And he's one of those people as well, where like, I will obviously ask him because he knows so many people and he's very well connected, right? He's one of those people, like I talked about, he's professionally famous on the internet, but he's also extremely good at his job. He knows a lot of people. He, he's trained people 10 hours a day for really good at his job. He deserves every bit of notoriety that he gets, right? But he also knows when it's not his job, right? And that's something that's just so phenomenal to me. I've got a huge amount of respect for him as a result. Um, but I think it's, I, I completely agree. Always be connecting the dots, right? Because you can be so valuable to the world, even with a very minimal, very narrow skill set. When your skill set perfectly aligns with what people need when they come to you, and everything that's not in your skill set, you know where to find the answer. Um, and that makes you the go-to guy, right? That makes you the go-to person that people turn to no matter what the problem. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a nice place to be. You feel valuable in your community, in your network. Um, you really get to help people that way. We're talking with Dr. Ben Stevens, a chiropractic physician in Canada. I think you've done a great job of talking about knowing what you know, what you don't know. I'm curious, just as the last part of this interview, so you've done a great job of explaining how it's important to recognize what you're good at and having the confidence to and the knowledge base to refer to other people. How do you find out or how did you find out what you're good at and what you're not good at throughout your practice? And what is it that you have found over the years that, okay, I'm pretty good at these two or three things? 
So as you may have guessed, teaching is one of the things I'm trying to become good at and I'm getting better at it, um, but I don't think it's what you're asking. <laughs> uh, so I'll say this, I think I'm actually good at process. I'm good at the differential diagnosis and the figuring out of a problem. Uh, and the reason I say that is because that's what most people actually come to me for now is I, I'm not amazing at any one technique. I'm not phenomenal at any one intervention. Um, what I prefer to think I'm probably the best at is figuring out what people need and figuring out the basis of the problem. Um, sometimes, you know, obviously I don't have a perfect track record. I mean, I fail too, but I'll say if it, at the end of that process, most excited to keep because I feel like they match most obviously with my skill set are concussions, uh, acute sports-based concussions, uh, disc injuries, which I feel like are a, a huge problem nowadays. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was, it was, it was finding the right person, the chiropractor who a number of physicians said, you need to go see this guy. He's a, and it was by a number of physicians, a quote, fucking genius. <laughs> That's awesome. And I, and, and I would, and I would agree with that. I, I've probably recommended him to eight or nine people since then in the last two years. And they've all said, how come nobody knows about this guy? But I bet you he's not a strength coach or personal trainer. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so we, he's good at what he does. He's good. And it's actually, he's the first person that I shared that blog post because a couple of weeks prior, he and I had had a similar conversation where he was saying, you know, I could design a strength program. He said, but I do a lot better of dealing with people with chronic back pain and chronic pain and figuring out why are they having the pain and giving them some basic exercises to get them out to pain yep. and then referring them to a personal trainer if that's the direction they want to go with. Perfect. And that's the way it should be. Um, so yeah, disc injuries and concussions and probably shoulders. If I had to pick one, shoulders is, uh, it was a huge interest area of mine. Took every course I could get my hands on for a long time. At one point, 80% of my practice was shoulder clients. Uh, I chose disc injuries and concussions intentionally because I've had personal experiences with disc injuries and concussions. Um, and they are both, not that shoulder injuries are not, but they're both very life altering injuries and life altering problems that don't have to be life altering if they're dealt with correctly. And so I've had, uh, honestly, most of my interest and most of the things I've, I'm good at were blaringly, obviously problems and a lack of skill set at one point. So there was definitely a time where I had people coming in with concussions where it was becoming more and more obvious. I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And I hate that feeling. I hate feeling like there's someone sitting in front of me. They need help. I don't know where to send them. I don't know how to help them myself. I don't know. Um, I, I just, I hate it. It's like people are coming to me to help them. And if I can't help them, I want to know who can. And I, and I couldn't do that. And so with disc injuries and concussions, those both hit very close to home. So I've probably spent the last, I don't know, maybe five years focusing heavily on those two things. We've been talking with Dr. Benjamin Stevens. He's a chiropractic physician, a clinician, an educator. We'll have extensive show notes. I think he's given a great background idea of know your strengths and also have the confidence to know what you don't know and refer out or connect with somebody. Dr. Stevens, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. I've really enjoyed learning more about your philosophy and how you arrived at where you are today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. 
You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving. Thank you.